0: On All right. So the, in
1: 2020, the supplementary budget by the Minister of Finance, Dito Mboweni, announced an allocation of $19 billion to the newly established Presidential Youth Employment Initiative. The question, though, is, is that enough? To deal with the kind of unemployment that we see in the youth sector, Tessa Dooms is the National Planning Commissioner responsible for youth development in South Africa. She joins us now on the line. Tessa, welcome for making the thank you for so much for making the time and welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me on, guys.
1: So uh, you have seen all kinds of perspectives from where you are sitting as somebody in in the National Planning Commissioner uh, Commission, and from the perspective of young people, you are saying yes. 19 billion is a lot of money, but it's not going to be what's required to deal with youth unemployment.
2: Yeah, um, it's important to put that 19 billion in perspective. So, um, the National Planning Commission did research um, as early as 2016, 2017, trying to do an assessment of how much money was being spent on trying to enable youth employment in the country. Mm -hmm. And what we came up with was just looking at what was available in the public sector alone. Mm -hmm. Um, this is including things like money that was being spent on internships, money that was being spent on youth accelerator programs, mm. money that was being spent in departments in terms of, um, you know, trying to do community-facing um, initiatives around youth or bringing in EPWP um, people, uh, young people through those kinds of programs, mm. um, excluding the jobs fund, which has another budget of its own mm. in the billions. Mm we saw that on average, we were spending 17 billion rand a year on youth employability or youth employment programs in this country, at least in the last five years. Mm. That 19 billion sounds a lot, but it really isn't a big leap um, from what we've been spending generally. It's Mm. an additional leap that's going straight into the presidency for a more coordinated initiative. And while that money sounds like it's a lot, we had to ask ourselves questions in the National Planning Commission about what's the return on the investment mm. that government is making, that private sector is making, that NGOs are making when it comes to youth and youth employment because that's just the money in, in government. If you think about CSI, mm. if you think about enterprise development funds that are being spent across um, the private sector, we all know of private sector initiatives mm. that are doing placement programs here, things like the YES program, which mm. is also not part of that $19 billion, if you think about it. Mm. Um, if we think about the, the numerous community-based, we, we found about 4,000 community-based um, projects that Mm. are all saying that they're helping young people find employment. Mm. So if we think about that, that's a large amount of money and human resources that's going into trying to help young people get employment. Mm. Yet in that same period, we've seen escalating youth unemployment. So we clearly have not figured out how to translate cash and resources into actual sustainable jobs for young people. And if Therefore, money isn't the answer. We need to start thinking about a more holistic approach that brings young people into the labour market and keeps them there in a way that makes our economy, our country and our future better. So so what I'm hearing you
1: say is that yes you, you know you can give me exact numbers of how much money has been spent but I'm also hearing you say that there's been a lot of effort and other people's commitments to try and sort this youth unemployment out. It's still not yielding results. Where in your view Tessa is the missing link? Where's the, where's the problem?
2: So there are multiple problems um, and there are demand-side problems and supply-side supply problems, mm. um, and I'll speak to both. And, and when I talk about them in those terms, um, in the Planning Commission, we, talk, we don't talk about youth employment. We talk about what we call youth labor market transition. Mm-hmm. Um, these are transitions from young people who are in education into young people who are active parts of the economy. Mm. That's what we believe the future is. The future isn't jobs. Mm. We've become very fixated on the idea of formal sector jobs Mm. as the measure of success Mm. and what we're saying is given the changing nature of the world of work what we want to see is young people who are transitioning into being economic actors in sustainable ways where they are able to feed themselves feed their families and build their futures Mm -hmm. and so on the demand side of that it's the young people themselves and there are a few things we found to be big problems for young people. Mm-hmm. One is the education system.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: An education system that is not preparing young people to go out there and to be agents um, for their economic futures. So at most, what our, our system does is um, prepare people to have a certification that they can take to an employer.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but it doesn't necessarily even make sure that they have skills that they can do that with. A bigger problem in the education system, though, is that um, almost half of the people who start matric Mm -hmm. don't finish. And then, of course, we know all of the issues around access to higher education. So we've got a lot of breakdown in the education system that's not adequately preparing people to be able to go out there and meet the demand in the market. Will make the demand
1: in the market. Tessa, I don't want to make assumptions. Could you help us understand whether this is a cro- education across the board, or are those? I mean, we always assume that the the inequality is is also quite present. We know that in education as well. But is it is it also the case in the sense that the education, even in private sector, in the public, in the private education system, is. Equally, not presenting children or young people who are agents who can go and 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 go be um, as you know as productive in the market transition uh, sector. Yes,
2: so I would say unequivocally, um, it's an education pro- problem across the board mm. for. Um, high-resource, low-resource, public or private, mm. in a sense that the quality of what we're giving young people mm. is we're giving them the ability to write a metric exam that they can pass so that they can have a paper so somebody can actually listen to them. But that doesn't necessarily... So I was a university lecturer. I used to teach um, first-year mm. students. And even my Crawford College mm. um, mm. first-year students mm. were coming in without basic... Essay writing skills, basic critical thinking skills. Hmm. So if you're talking about somebody who's paying um, hundreds and thousands of rands for their education, we're still not producing a skill base. Right? And uh, the the thing that makes the private school kid or the person who comes from a resource area able to compete better in the labor market, even with the same educational breakdown, is the thing that we call social capital. Mm Mm-hmm. Too much of our employment and entrepreneurship landscape for young people in this country is based on who you know, Mm. the networks you're able to build, Mm. the gatekeeping that is happening in terms of political gatekeeping, in terms Mm. of racial gatekeeping, gender gatekeeping, Mm. um, cultural gatekeeping, where young people um, have to know someone to know someone, Mm. they're priming themselves to try and network their way into an opportunity rather than having a system of meritocracy, where if you work well, you work hard enough, you are able to present yourself and compete equally. And that, 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 of course, is part of our bigger historical crisis of social inequalities in this country. And unless we sort that out, we really will not get any further. Can and maybe I- before, before, you, um, before I miss this point, mm. links to that, and I won't say too much about this, but it, it is important, is also that we have a lot of young people in this country, and I would say a large majority, Mm -hmm. who come through their childhood and their teenage years Mm -hmm. suffering trauma, Mm -hmm. psychosocial trauma of abuse, of poverty itself. And all of those things make for young people who are not necessarily equipped with the social skills to present themselves to the market and be successful.
1: (laughs) Let's take calls, Tessa, if you don't mind. Oh one one seven one four two zero zero six, or we can take WhatsApp notes as well on 0614-104-107. Really interesting um, conversation that we're having about what it's going to take to try and deal with the youth. Um, and we're now calling it the labour market transition, not necessarily the job market, um, because now we are looking for youth who can create their own jobs and be, you know, quite um, capable of of being in the in the active economy, not necessarily waiting to look for a job that somebody's going to hand out to them your take on this conversation you may have a question you may also maybe have just a comment 011-714-2006
4: at
0: sfm radio and at pimelo mutile on twitter
1: I'm in conversation with Tessa Dooms, who's the National Planning Commissioner responsible for youth development. And uh, we are discussing what it's going to take to really move these really staggering numbers that we're seeing um, that come through from Stats SA and many other uh, spaces um, of uh, youth unemployment, essentially. But we are trying to move the conversation a little bit more away from the employment bit, from youth who can actually be active in this economy. Tessa, with all the things that you've presented to us, what then would be the necessary responses to things like trauma, the abuse of young people, so that we can allow them to, to at least be functional in, in this economy?
2: Close to my heart is that our country needs to get together and we need a youth development strategy. And by this, I don't mean a youth policy. We have one of those. But we need a strategy that says, if youth is a transition from being a child to being an adult, what is it that we need to do with young people during their youth to make sure they become successful adults? But in order for us to know that, we need to say, what does it mean to be a South African adult who is successful in the world?
3: Mm -hmm. What
2: does it look like? Um, Is it about economic independence? Is it about home ownership? Is it about um, raising a family? Is it about um, social cohesion and respect? We haven't actually decided who we are, And so we're just lulling young people. And that's why we're so comfortable with youth going until 35. Mm
3: -hmm. Because we actually
2: don't know what we're developing them towards. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing is we need to decide what we are trying to do with youth development Mm -hmm. so that we can attain success. But the key part of that is creating real spaces where young people can go, whether it's in school, post-schooling, in the university system, or in the NGO system, where they can work on things like confronting trauma, building self-esteem, building agency. So something, for instance, like the National Youth Service. Countries around the world use something like National Youth Services, not just to build patriotism, but to build an ethic of work, Mm. Um, the ability to do service, to address um, social um, unrest or social cohesion issues so that you learn how to work with other people. Um, A country like Nigeria, when you're done with your university, you have Mm. to spend a year working in a province different from your own so you meet people of a different culture from your own. Mm. We need intentional youth development because if we don't deal with those traumas, they take them into the workplace, they take them into life, Mm. and you see play itself in a bad way. So um, I I, I would challenge, for instance, the national... um, the National Youth Development Agency and organizations like Soul Safety and Love Life to start thinking about actual systemic places where young people can go, whether they're still in high school or whether they are, um, you know, transitioning, and say, I am a young person who is suffering trauma. Hmm. Please give me a space where I can deal with that trauma So I can prepare myself to be an agent of change in the world.
1: I get the sense, Tessa, that this is so urgent that we don't have much time to wait now. When we wait for another agency to develop another program and strategy, that may take another three, four years. What do we do now?
2: What we do now is partner with uh, organizations that are doing these kinds of things. Mm. So Cape Town is an organization that's built in an amazing model, the Chrysalis Academy, mm-hmm. who has a three-month program for young people where they intentionally deal with issues like um, trauma. We have so many community-based organizations um, across the country who've got tried and tested methodologies for these kinds of things. We've got organizations like Youth Lab who goes into communities and does boot camps to help young people build agency. And so part of what the Presidential Youth Initiative sitting in the President's Office has the opportunity to do now is use what they're calling a pathway management system, not only to connect young people to job opportunities, but to also start connecting them to psychosocial support Mm. and um, what we're calling a basic package of support, where in every community, your municipal office or a library or something in that community is transformed into a space that directs young people to places where they get social support, emotional support, economic support, and really be guided through the transition of youth um, in a much more structured way.
1: What does uh, South Africa without those programs look like? I mean, there are communities with none of those. What does that look like?
2: So. I don't think that there's a single community without at least the basic infrastructure to to do something. Mm. And there's not a single, and I think you and I have had this conversation before. There's not a single community in this country without community organizers. Mm. And so um, in the last economic plan that the president and treasury released, they speak about the word the social economy. Mm. And I think that there we have an opportunity to leverage both younger people and older people who are community workers, and who've been volunteering their time and giving up themselves to take them, to train them, and to have them as a first level of people who are employed in the system. And they're employed to help young people get employed. Um, A young person said to me a few years ago, something that I'll never forget. She said HIV was actually something that um, mobilized our communities. Mm -hmm. And it became our job to eradicate HIV. It should become our job to eradicate youth unemployment. And I think our communities are trying to do it. We just need to evaluate, see it, coordinate it, um, and then employ people to employ people. So is there a
1: buy-in to this sort of thinking, uh, Tessa? I mean, you're sitting at the National Planning Commission
2: Fortunately, I can finally say yes. It's been a five-year journey um, getting us to this point. We've been talking about um, what we call in the paper that we did um, that's available on the National Planning Commission website Mm -hmm. on these labour market transitions, three pathways to labour market transitions. The formal economy, where a lot of work is being done in terms of placement, the entrepreneurship economy, which now includes digital futures, and the social economy. And we have workshopped with young people across the country, with youth organizations across the country, with the NYDA and with many government departments, different ways that everybody can plug in to these different um, pathways, and particularly the social economy and entrepreneurship side. We're starting to see that language being taken up. So if you read the the latest document, you'll see we're talking about, for instance, um, a, a live example now is the young people who are being brought into the Department of Basic Education as teacher assistants. Mm-hmm. That, that is actually directly in our position paper, mm-hmm. as the NPC suggested.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: things like that, that we're starting to see. We're starting to see that we cannot just continue to say that the private sector must you know, find the mm-hmm. jobs and make the jobs and whatever. We're starting to say that we need to empower young people in the spaces that they are in, in order to start doing work. So, whether it's public sector funders or just supporting young people who, for instance, are braiding people's hair every day but not mm. making it into a business,
3: mm.
2: or fixing people's gates but then saying they have no work experience, mm. it, it, we're starting to see it, and it's going to be about taking more and more intentional efforts to coordinate it, which is what I'm hoping that the presidential youth initiative in the president's office. Um, will be able to do increasingly.
1: But I'm also hearing, Tessa, from what you said earlier that there needs to be an intervention with our education system. Is that conversation happening?
2: That conversation has happened um, in part. Mm. Um, So uh, the the grade 9 exit opportunity, for example, is a result of a conversation like that that's been happening over a long time. Great. When we realize that we're losing too many young people before they get to matric, Mm. that we've um, completely obliterated our vocational training pathways. Mm-hmm. So the education department is starting to talk about three streams, mm. technical, vocational, and academic is, again, a step forward mm. so that we, we we lose less people along the way. Mm. We do need coordination between pivots and high schools to make sure that um, at the moment, if I'm a high schooler and I'm in grade 9, and I'm not doing well in the academic field, but I want to become a nail technician. Mm. There's no articulation. There's no uh, machine that talks to the TV at college to say, mm. hey, there's a learner here mm. who would like to go there. Mm. So those young people usually get lost along the way in that way. Mm-hmm. So the, the, that part of the system is definitely starting to talk. Where we're still having, I think, probably our biggest challenges is actually at primary school level yeah. rather than the high school level. Yeah. Because we need to make sure that we are starting to look at the curricula there mm. and make sure that those, that curricula is setting people up as well as they possibly can with the basic skills, the first thousand days and numeracy and literacy mm. so that whichever path they take in high school, they're better prepared for.
1: And I'm also assuming that you would say the same thing about that trauma, dealing with trauma at that very, very early stage, not necessarily waiting for them to come out of school.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. If there's anything that we, we need to learn as a country is that um, education is not just about jobs. Mm. Um, it's not just about preparing laborers. That was the apartheid model of education. Mm. The very basis of Bantu education was the, the, the black child's um, is only going to have to be a gardener, so let's not teach them math.
3: Mm.
2: We now need to start thinking about what I call a moral education. Mm. An education that is preparing us to be citizens and contributors to our country, not worker bees. An education that teaches us innovation, not just how to code. And there's a difference between those two yeah. things. Yeah. And so the, we have these opportunities, and again, the basic depart, uh, department of education, for instance, is now working on its 4IR curriculum. And in one of the meetings that I've been in with the 4IR teams is to emphasize to them that it's not just about the actual coding skill. We need to be teaching about analytical thinking from grade R all the way up to metric. So in, in all the doom and gloom, there are real possibilities and things being done in the background, but implementation is going to be where it falls Tessa, I'm going to ask that we
1: hang on for a second while we take the headlines um, with Utsi Lesako because it's now 1.30 and it is time for the headlines. I'll come back to you, Christopher, after that.
0: You're listening to Pimelo Mutini on SAFM.
1: I promise to come back with your calls and questions as well, as well as comments on, on WhatsApp as well as on a, a phone call on 011-714-2006. I'm in conversation with Tessa Dooms, National Planning Commissioner uh, responsible for youth development. Um, Christopher, you're calling us from Cape Town. Good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon to you
0: and to your panellists there. Thanks very much for time. Yeah, calling, I've been listening to your conversation, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I thought, let me throw my scent in the hat as well. Mm -hmm. I'm not youth as they classify youth. I'm actually a 55-year-old accountant Mm -hmm. who just happened to be unemployed for the last three years. I come out of the corporate sector.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. And so this is an issue that sort of comes everyone's way.
3: Mm.
0: But I think this morning I was driving and I was listening to the truck drivers
3: Mm.
0: complaining about... Foreigners being employed to Mm -hmm. drive trucks. Unfortunately, I reached my destination and I had to go and do my business, but there is one issue. Surely our youngsters can be trained to drive trucks and to do whatever is necessary in the logistics space. Secondly, a personal experience of mine, I have an honours degree in management accounting, And when I found myself unemployed coming out of the corporate sector, I thought I will canvass some of the government agencies and uh, approach them for work, even if it's on a contractual basis. That process itself took almost two and a half years to complete. I was eventually signed up and then sort of within the first three months I was asked to submit quotations and blah, blah, and then all of a sudden things died. I followed up with them, and they said to me, sorry, we didn't get responses from all the parties that we've approached for quotations, so there's still quotations outstanding. So you just have to sit back and wait until such time that we come back to you. Anyway, my point there is,
3: uh,
0: if the system is so slow, just to turn around, we're not going to get out of the starting blocks as quickly as we want to, the, these agencies turn very, very slowly. Um, I've also heard you talking about abuse in the workplace. I, worked, I walked out of the workplace because of an abusive situation with my employer and my immediate uh, management. And I worked for a big corporate. I took my complaint all the way up, all the way up to senior level until I realized, but, you know, yes, we have good laws protecting everyone in the labor market, blah, blah, blah. But once you get to the top, you don't really get the support. And people don't really comply with the rules, and they don't really give you an opportunity to to state exactly what your problem is. I've gone as far as CCMA, and I came away from the CCMA where... Where they said to me, sorry, you walked out of the workplace, and therefore we cannot uh, rule in your favor, something to that extent. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of issues that we need to sort out before we can start talking about employing people and making a dent in these unemployment uh, stats that we're hearing every day. Anyway, I was just listening to your program, I tuned in late, and I thought they could just throw my scent in yeah. the bag and maybe give my perspective.
1: Thanks thanks for that, um, Christopher. Tessa, do you want to respond to that?
2: Yes, I want to respond to both points. The mm-hmm. first one is we we must start being very honest in this country, both in government and private sector, about the fact that we have a youth unemployment industry in this country. Mm. We have an industry of people who are making money off making young people look like they're getting work Mm -hmm. or making our systems look like they're getting opportunities or making internships look like they're Mm. happening and look like they're Mm. moving the needle Mm. when actually it's just about people getting tax breaks and Mm. um, getting, um, you know, training money here and all of those kinds of things. Yeah. The return on investment cannot be that the organizations become millionaires but the young people just mm. never actually get a proper sustainable foot in the door. And that talks to the question of this system that is unaccountable and there's no managing and evaluation and there's no um, competency to make sure that government systems work well and the whole thing um, meets the needs of the people who need it the most. Mm. And then on that second um Think that, that second issue about um, treatment in the workplace. We have a divided country in many, many ways. And the place where, for, especially for, for, for young people, it shows up the most is the workplace because you've got the skin in the game there. Mm-hmm. You can't speak up against discrimination or poor treatment, something going wrong, because it means that your family won't eat tomorrow. So it's easy to be an activist when you're still at varsity. But then you stop being an activist against social justice because mm-hmm. you don't want your family to lose food on the table. Mm-hmm. And so, again, companies need to be held to higher standards to create work environments that are fit for the purpose of our country. The single thing that I that that young people tell us time and time again, and a simple example, is that they have a culture shock when they go to work. Mm-hmm. Not a culture shock because they have to work. A culture shock because they told you are not allowed to speak like that.
3: Mm.
2: That the way that you've lived, you know, the way that you've spoken all your life is wrong. The way you wear your hair is wrong. The way you dress is wrong. You are a you are a cultural minority in corporate South Africa when you're a young black bright person from Kwamashu, and you walk into a room where you're getting interviewed by three people who even look like you sometimes. Mm. Three Zulu men. They're interviewing you and then asking you to speak the Queen's English. We must change the workplace culture, and that's the supply side that needs to change. Hmm. We must change the way we hire people. We need to change what CVs look like. We need to change HR processes. We need to create an environment that wants to hire, retain, and deal with the complexities that is South Africa and all of its people. Let me qu- Until then, we're just playing rotating games. Mike, quickly from Secunda. Hi, hello, Mike.
4: Yes, how are you? Yes, how are you?
1: Good. Go ahead, Mike.
4: Yes, thank you so much. Um, I have to commend you again. I, I don't know every time I listen to your show, you have uh, this thing of picking the most relevant topic and starting to talk about it, uh, Appreci- rather than following the normal trend that we we uh, other, other appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so much for that. Uh, but uh, let me let me touch on the positives because mm-hmm. there are some things that I also want to raise. But let me start with a positive thing. The first one is acknowledging you that you're starting this very important conversation. The second that I want to acknowledge uh, is, is is, I think that the speaker, they spoke about what we call people we climbed climb up the ladder due to what we call social capital. Mm. And I, I don't want to be racist about it. I just want to get my point as clearly as possible across. Even if you look at us you know, as black youth, mm-hmm. if you've studied, and and, and, and and it's something that I've been observing, it's just that I did not have research. So when somebody who has uh, researched this speaks from an informed point of view, I want to raise this point. If you have studied, in the in the University of Zululand, for example, and they're an African person, and there's somebody who studied at Rhodes, and they're an African person, and yep. you did financial studies, mm-hmm. those people stand a better chance. If you studied at Rhodes mm-hmm. as the black person, you stand a better chance of getting into the circle of the financial institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, by financial institution, it's all encompassing. I'm not necessarily uh, saying mm-hmm. banks, but mm-hmm. insurance companies mm-hmm. and all those investment companies. That's where they look for graduates. And if you come from another university and i think it's precisely because of what she's raising Mm. of that social capital So, say people who come from there because i also studied there i regard them Mm. you know to be sitting higher up the ladder than somebody who studied elsewhere so that's that's another point that i just wanted to acknowledge but on the negative side what i wanted to raise is that what the speaker is raising has been lamented upon Mm. has been raised before with have policies in this country, with have the NDP. The NDP is infected It says we are building a large cohort of young people whom, if we don't engage them in a meaningful way in yeah. the economy, they could be engaged to derail yeah. the political and the economic landscape to another direction. I'm
1: going to leave it there, Mike. We've run out of time. I'll come back to you, Tessa, with the response.
4: Life, life happens with Pimelo Motine.
1: All right, we're wrapping it up with Tessa. Tessa, we don't have much time. Just to close it up for us, Uh, what an interesting and very important conversation. Tessa? No problem. Tessa, uh, I think I had lost you there for a second. I'm saying, just in in a couple of seconds, if you can wrap it up for us, please.
2: So um, my advice to South Africa if we want to get through youth unemployment is three things. Start where young people are at. Young people may be unemployed, but they certainly are not idle. Mm. They are doing things every day, whether it is trades with their hands, whether it is a hustle, whether it is helping their community. And we need to start seeing those things, valuing them, and turning them into careers. The second thing is that um, if we don't leverage our biggest asset in this country, which is the fact that we have a majority of young people who are able to work, they will start to work against us. Mm. And the third thing is that we should not be afraid to be led by young people. We should aspire to be a country that is led by our youth. And the way that we develop people who lead is to give up this idea that age is the only experience that matters Mm. and realize that the experiences that young people are having today are the ones that we need to give us the kind of shift in the thinking that we have that will really take our country in a new direction.
1: Powerful words there. Thank you so much. Tessa Dooms is the National Planning Commissioner responsible for youth development at the National Planning Commission.